0: in Psalm 51 this evening. Psalm 51. While you're turning there, just a few announcements. Um, Jerry Behrens, as you're likely aware, passed away uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, and the memorial service is scheduled for Sunday, uh, this coming Sunday, the 20th, at 3 p.m., and that'll be at uh, Isles Grandview Funeral Home. Um, the, for those of you who may not be comfortable going to the service, it will be live-streamed, uh, and I believe, if it's like the other times that they've done it, to get to the live-stream, you just go to their website, and you can look up his name, and there'll be live stream information there. Um, and I think they uh, I think there's about there's room for about a hundred people as I understand it spread out um, so uh, that was this coming Sunday will be the service uh, at Isles Grand View funeral home uh, December 20th at 3 p.m. so you can plan uh, for that one other note I just wanted uh, to mention kind of throw out there um, I got a call today Let's open with the word of prayer as we come to Psalm 51 this evening. Heavenly Father, this evening we do rejoice in you, the God who created, the God who sustains, the God who loves us, the God who sent his Son to redeem us. Even as we saw Sunday as we looked at John 3.16 and Philippians 2. And Heavenly Father, we pray that this evening as we turn our attention to this psalm, we pray that we would be confronted with the reality of our sin, and yet at the same time that we would see the hope and the mercy of you, our great God. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Psalm 51. I'm going to actually start by reading the introduction because it helps to give context. Psalm 51, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, In the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous Spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings, and the whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. As we're reading Psalm 51, it might be a psalm that's familiar to you. I would uh, venture to to put out there that probably at least parts of that, verses in that psalm, are familiar to you. Psalm 51 is a penitential psalm. Um, It's one of several. It's a psalm of confession. It's a psalm of confession, as the psalm tells us. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. This incident is recorded for us in 2 Samuel 11. In 2 Samuel 12, we have the story when Nathan confronts David when he comes to him. And Psalm 32 is also a psalm to keep in mind. In fact, I'd encourage you to flip over there and just go ahead and mark Psalm 32. Because as we work our way throughout there, there's there's a lot of overlap. We'll be flipping over there a few times. Psalm 32. But as you work your way through Psalm 51, it can really be split into three movements or three parts. And the first movement is verses 1 to 9. It's recognizing the need of Repentance. And then, second movement, verses 10 to 17, David is then on the road to personal restoration. And then verses 18 to 19, the final movement, is a prayer for national restoration. But the first thing we see is the recognizing the need of repentance. In the first three verses, we see a desperate plea for forgiveness. In fact, that first line, "Have mercy upon me, O God." It's a desperate cry of a repentant heart. It's the cry of a sinner who knows that they are a sinner, a sinner who knows that mercy is his only hope. Have mercy upon me, O God." It's the cry of a sinner as we work our way through this psalm. A sinner who knows that he is a sinner. A sinner who owns his sin. A sinner who confesses that sin. A sinner who recognizes that God is just. And the penalty for sin is steep. And yet, a sinner who remembers that God is but merciful as well. Have mercy upon me, O God. But notice the rest of psalm. Uh, Of this first verse, David doesn't say, "Have mercy upon me, O God," because look how well I have led the kingdom all these years. He doesn't say, "Have mercy upon me, O God," because remember when I could have taken the kingdom, when I could have taken Saul, and I didn't. That shows my heart. Remember that. He doesn't say, "Have mercy upon me, O God," because of because I've defeated these enemies. Because I've expanded this kingdom. He doesn't say, have mercy on me, O God, because of anything within me. It's not because of anything that David deserves. But have mercy on me, O God, because of your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies. Have mercy on me, O God, not because of who I am, but because of who you are. Because of who you are. Because of who you've revealed yourself to be. All the way back back in Exodus 34 6 7, a well known passage. As Moses is hidden in the cleft of the rock, and God passes by, and Moses catches a hint of God, and God proclaims to Moses, The Lord, the Lord God, a God merciful and gracious. Yet God also goes on to proclaim his justice in there as well. But all the way back from Exodus, God has proclaimed to his people, I am a merciful God. I am a God of abundant mercy. Even as you look forward, even to to a passage like Jonah, in Jonah 4, as Jonah has has come out of the fish, and you think, okay, now, now Jonah is going to go, and now Jonah is going to go boldly God has gotten his attention. And Jonah goes and he kind of half-heartedly preaches a message of destruction with no hope in it. And yet the people of Nineveh turn and they put their faith in God and they repent of their sin. And Jonah throws a fit. Why? What does he say? Because I know you're merciful. Because I know you're slow to anger. Because I knew you would forgive them. Moses knew who God was, Jonah knew who God was, David knew who God was. He is a merciful God. And so David falls before this merciful God and cries out for mercy. Blot out my transgressions, remove them from me. Wash me. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Scrub me of every hint of sin. Remove it. When Chris and I were still living in South Carolina, I was helping a friend one time clean out their yard, and uh, I got poison ivy. And I got it all over me, and it was not fun. I had it bad for about two weeks, and finally I had to go to the doctor, and they gave me some rub I could put on it, and uh, it, it went away. But it was, it was miserable. And I can guarantee you that every time since then, I think there's even a hint of poison ivy that I have touched. I clean that area as best I can. I rub it. And I rub it hard. I wash it thoroughly because I want to get every hint of that poison ivy off of me. Imagine how you were wa- wa- would wash yourself if you were walking down the road and you, you bumped up against, using a biblical reference, you bumped up against a leper. You bumped up against someone and you look at them and you see that they're a leper. How would you wash that arm? You would scrub it, maybe even till the skin started coming off. Till every hint of that is gone. That is what David is crying for here. Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me from my sin. Scrub every hint of my sin away. This is desperate. I need to be free from this. For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is always before me. I acknowledge it. I recognize it. I know that it is within me. I think verse 3 is a verse that many of us can identify with. My sin is always before me. In fact, I, I would imagine that most of us would identify with with any of the penitential psalms, the psalms of confession. Because we are all sinners. We all see the depth of our sin. Our sin is always before us. In fact, what I've found in my life as I have continued to grow in Christ is the bigger that God becomes to me, the bigger of a deal my sin becomes to me. The more I see God, the more I see my sin that is always before me. Constantly. This is where I'd invite you to flip over with me to Psalm 32. David here in verse 3 says, I acknowledge my transgressions. I acknowledge my sin. It is always before me. Psalm 32 is the psalm where he acknowledges this. It is tied to this specific instance. And what David says is, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is, man, is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silence, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my vitality was turned into the drought of summer, Selah. But I acknowledged my sin to you my iniquity i have not hidden i said i will confess my transgressions to the lord and you have and you forgave the iniquity of my sin i acknowledged my sin to you i did not try to hide it i did not try to cover it david is not trying to hide his sin from god he comes to god he admits it he owns it i am a sinner I cannot wash myself. I cannot cleanse myself of this. I need you. I need your mercy. So you come back to Psalm 51, David goes on, my sin is always before me, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That's an interesting verse, against you and you only have I sinned. What about Uriah and Bathsheba? They were sinned against pretty badly. Uriah, David murdered. Bathsheba, David took advantage of. He abused. He violated. How can David say against you and you only have I sinned? It's not that David has not wronged others. It's not that David has not sinned against others. But it's that the offense of sin against a holy God is on an infinitely greater level. David has uniquely sinned against God in a way he has not sinned against anyone else. David's sin is not just against God. It is an assault on him. I have uniquely sinned against you. And not only have I sinned against you, I have done it in your sight. Not only is it against God, but God sees it. It's right in front of him. There's no point trying to hide. God saw it. In the end of verse 4, David admits God's justice, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. I have sinned against you. You have seen me sin against you. And you are just. You are just. And you will judge justly. In the first three verses, we see plea for forgiveness. As we're now into verse four, we see the admission of guilt. David is admitting his guilt. I am guilty. I have sinned against you. I have sinned against you only. You have seen my sin and you are just. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I am a sinner from my beginning. I was brought forth in iniquity in my mother, in, in sin. My mother conceived me. Not that David's mother had, had done something wrong, but that from the very Beginning, David is a sinner. David is not a sinner because he sins. He is a, he sins because he is a sinner and has been that way from conception itself. It's an interesting verse as well. You trace life back to conception. If guilt goes back to conception, then life goes back to conception. And sin, my mother, conceived me. At that moment, I was guilty. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts of the very inward. In the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. I am a sinner to my core. I am a sinner from the beginning. W. Graham Scroge says this, The radical wrong is not in our surroundings, but in our souls. David is not a sinner. He did not commit this specific sin, and he is not a sinner, simply because of the situation in which God has put him. He's a sinner because he is a sinner. To his very core, he is a sinner, and you and I are sinners. David wasn't unique in this. We are all conceived in sin, every single one of us. Just because we may not have committed the exact sin that David has here does not mean we're not in the exact same boat. We are all sinners and we need the mercy of God. That's what we see in verses 7 to 9: a plea for mercy. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Hyssop there, it's a specific branch. And it's used, actually, you'll find it in Exodus. It's used in Exodus to apply the blood of the Lamb to the doorposts at Passover. It's also used in several other ceremonial cleansings. What David is saying is purge me with with, with hyssop. Spiritually cleanse me. If you cleanse me, I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Freshly laid, pure snow. There's plenty of it out there. You can go look at it. Snow that has freshly been laid, that is free of blemish. God's mercy can take something as black, as dark, as perverted as David's heart and make it whiter than snow. Make me here glad and join us that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. That again is a reference back to Psalm 32, verse 3. If you were uh, paying attention when I read that, Psalm 32, 3 says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through the groaning all the day long. David is here using that reference again. The weight, the guilt, the condemnation of sin. But God can remove that by his mercy. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Blot out all my iniquities. Turn your face away. Remove my sins from before you. David here recognizes that forgiveness cannot come without the removal of sin. He's already admitted that God is just. God cannot just overlook his sin. They must be removed from before God, they must be taken care of. So you come to verses 10 to 17, and you see the road to personal restoration. The first nine, nine verses plea for forgiveness recognition, an admission of guilt and of sin, a plea for the mercy of God, and then a cry for renewal. Verse 10 to 12, Create in me a clean heart, O God. A clean heart. One that is wider than snow. And a clean heart must be God's doing. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. I have been unfaithful. Restore me to faithfulness. Give me a clean heart. Restore me to faithfulness. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't give up on me, God. David had seen the consequence of sin with Saul. The theocratic anointing, the Holy Spirit was, was taken away as he lost that. Something that God had called him to, and yet in obedience he lost it. Don't take it away from me. Don't give up on me, oh God. Don't give up on me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Bring it back. Remind me of that joy. And then keep me, uphold me by your generous spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. How sweet salvation is in the mind of a new believer. You remember those days? Do you remember when when your eyes had been freshly opened to the gospel? When your sin was removed, when that burden was taken away? Do you remember your hunger for the word of God? as you drink it up? Do you remember the weight on your heart of the smallest sin? Restore that to me, Father. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Bring me back. Remind me and then keep me by your generous spirit. Renew me. Verses 13 to 15. Renew me. And I will respond in praise. I will praise you. And I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. I will teach of you, I will bring others to you. As my shame is removed, my passion will be restored. I will testify to the greatness of my great God. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. It's important to understand that David is here not making a trade with God. If you forgive me, then I I promise you I'll go out and sing of you. I'll promise you I'll go tell of you. This is not a trade that David is making with God. It's a response that David has to God. When you do this, this is how I will worship. This This is the only logical way to respond to a God. Who has cleansed you, who has forgiven you, who has shown you mercy? How can you help but sing of that mercy, but tell of that mercy, but bring others to him? This is not some kind of a trade, this is a response. The Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. If you did not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. It's not that sacrifices are bad. It's the same thing we saw last week in Psalm 50, verses 7 to 15. You may remember last week in Psalm 50, God comes to his people and he says, I don't need your sacrifices. They were treating God as as a foreign God. They were treating God as as an idol, someone who, he he needs our sacrifices in order to be sustained. We are sustaining God. That's why we do this. And God comes to them and says, I don't need your sacrifices. I don't need it. You're not sustaining me. I don't need you. You need me. It's not about the action that you take in a sacrifice. It's not about the sacrifice itself. It's about the heart behind the sacrifice. God doesn't need empty works. He desires a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Sacrifices itself without the right heart behind it does nothing. I remember when I was in high school and early in college, I was um, looking for a car at the time and at that time in life you don't have a lot of money I still don't have a lot of money but especially at that time in life and I remember um, you'd go on, I'd go on Craigslist a lot and I'd look for, I'd try to find good deals you know, and it, which is dangerous for me because I don't know a lot about cars but there were several times where you'd find just this beautiful looking car it had been polished the outside was beautiful, it was shiny man, why is this car under $3,000 <laughs> Well, turns out it doesn't have an engine. It does no good to have a body that is polished and beautiful if there's no engine in the thing. It does me no good to have that. It, doesn't, it does God no good for you to go through sacrifices if your heart isn't in it, if you don't know what you're doing, if you're not paying attention. God doesn't need sacrifices. He doesn't need you. You need him. That's what David is saying here. This is not just empty words. I'm not just going through motions. Sacrifices of God, what he desires is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. He's not saying, just as he was not saying in Psalm 50, he's not saying do away with those. Those sacrifices don't mean anything. He's saying they don't mean anything if you're not doing them with the right heart. They were commanded by God. Do it, but do it with the right heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. She you come to the final two verses, verses 18 to 19, David turns from personal restoration now to a prayer for national restoration. He recognizes the effect that he, as the leader, or anybody in a group of people who have made a covenant, one action of one person affects the whole group. You see that in Joshua with Achan. So really, verse eighteen to nineteen is a plea for David's sin not to cause the nation to suffer. Don't let the nation suffer for the sin of one, even the one of son, uh, even the sin of one of such a prominent one. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. A city with strong walls is a city that can thrive. Build the walls. Let Jerusalem thrive. Then you will, shall, shall be pleased with the sacrifices of the righteous and the burnt offerings, whole burnt offerings, shall offer bulls in your altar. Verse 19 makes it clear that David in verses 15 through 17 is not saying just do away with sacrifices altogether. Sacrifices are a good thing. If they're done in the right way, with the right heart. And what you find in verses 18 to 19, the picture of verses 18 to 19 is of God and his people living within the confines of their covenant as God causes Jerusalem to thrive, their walls are built, and the people are right before God. They are bringing their sacrifices. They have the right heart behind it. They are doing what they are called to do, what they should be doing. They are being faithful, and God is being faithful. That is David's prayer as he ends this psalm. So as you come to the end of a psalm like Psalm 51, 51, If you're like me, you cannot help but be moved by a psalm like this. You cannot help but have your mind and your heart drawn to your own sin, your own need of a Savior. You cannot help but glory and the, the amazing mercy of God that you have known if you've placed your faith in Christ. So tonight as you come to the end of Psalm 51, it's an opportunity to stop To pause, to search your heart, to be honest with yourself before God, and to repent. Is there sin in your heart right now? Repent. Don't hide it. Don't stay quiet. He sees, He knows. And he is merciful. Go to him. Be honest. Cry out to him like David does in verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God. Come to him. Not because you're you're a good prayer. Not because you come to church. not, Not because of anything within yourself. But come to him. Cry out for mercy according to his loving kindness. According to the multitude of his tender mercies. He will forgive you. He's a God of mercy. Cry out to God. Be honest with your sin. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't hide bits and pieces. Bear it all to him. He sees and he knows and he's ready to forgive. And as you come and as you repent, find mercy Find restoration. Find hope. Repent. Find mercy. Find restoration from this God who loves to forgive. God who will wash, who will cleanse, who will make you whiter than snow. Who will create in you a clean heart. Who renew a steadfast spirit within you who will not cast you away from his presence, who will uphold you, who will restore to you the joy of your salvation. Run to him, repent, find mercy, find grace, find restoration, and then rejoice in, the great, in your great God and testify of his greatness. Just as David responded here in Psalm 51, by testifying, by bringing people to God, so we must respond. Let your tongue sing aloud of the righteousness of God. Tell of his greatness. Testify of his mercy. And see what the Lord will do. Repent, find mercy, and rejoice in your great God. Repent, find mercy, and rejoice. I hope that's encouraging to you tonight. I think it's an appropriate psalm to find ourselves in the week before Christmas. As we head into the final stretch before Christmas when our minds are on the manger, when our minds are on what Christ did for us, what God gave for us. He did that because he loves us. He did that because He is a merciful God. He did that so that he could blot out our sin. So he could take care of it. So he could be just and the justifier. I think that most of us in this room have placed our faith in Christ. So the issues that we would be dealing with, our issues are just continued unfaithfulness, issues of sin, and those need to be taken care of. But I can't leave this psalm without saying, if there's anyone in here tonight who has not placed their faith in Christ, or, or maybe you, you, you think you have, or you have questions, or you're not sure, don't let tonight go by without making sure. He's a God of mercy. Come to him. Open your heart. Talk to me at some point this evening, and I would love nothing more than to point you to Christ. I don't care how long you've been here. I don't care what your role is. I just care that if I just care that you're in Christ. As we come to the end of Psalm fifty one, now turn our attention to our prayer requests.